Today is the 21st day of April, 2023, and welcome once again to the Chapter 49, excuse me, Chapter 49 podcast. <clears throat> Even though I'm supposed to be uh, healing from my massive cough and uh, respiratory infection, seems like it still wants to rear its ugly head every now and then. If I can say it, I am Larry Lannon, volunteer retiree and host of the podcast. Uh, our chapter president, Duncan Giles, is the other party that is a part of this podcast uh, each time we record, hopefully weekly. Welcome back, Duncan. Hi, Larry. It's always good to be here. Yes, I, the public health director for Fishers, the city where I live, you know, she's, I, I explained to her what you know I was going through, and she says, we have a name for it. We call it the CRUD. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's, that, that's the technical name. I was just going to say, is that the technical term for it? She goes, no, but that's what we like to call it. It's better than the real name. Uh, well, I, I don't want to – I hate to start this podcast on a, on a downer, but, Duncan, I, I'm, I'm very disappointed about something, and I'm sure you'll share this with me. Because you and I have had some level of celebrity with this this podcast, and I just realized I have not received an invitation to King Charles coronation. They said they could only send one out, and I had to accept on our behalf. So, so I, I apologize. I didn't want to say anything, okay, because so. I didn't want you to be upset. But uh, you know, my wonderful partner Kim and I are uh, planning on going over there. So we're Something so about they have a special room for me in the Tower of London. It sounds pretty nice. <laughs> well, it's a pretty, sure. pretty good view. You, you've invited the king to be in a podcast, I'm sure, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I, I have always had fun uh, with, with the British royal family. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting group of people. That's all I will have to say about that. But, uh, no, Duncan and I are not going to the coronation. <laughs> I, I just had to start with, with something uh, unusual today. Let's get uh, down to business because we've talked about a, an issue before on the podcast, and, and we want to talk about it some more today. We've talked about travel, and, and, and particularly when it comes to training. When a training class begins on a Monday morning at 8 a.m. And, and you have no travel time and you have to travel, let's say, on Sunday to be there on time on Monday, what about the time you spent traveling to get there? Uh, NTE has brought this up with the management. You know, Years ago when you and I were in training, we used to have midday starts for classes that began you know, on a, on a Monday, for example, and it would start in the middle of the day to give people a reasonable amount of time to travel. It seems that things have been moved around a little bit uh, since we're now back to in-person training. We didn't have much of that for several years. So uh, NT has tried to raise this issue, but uh, so far no luck. Uh, I understand is uh, NT is pressing the issue now. So tell us where this whole issue is right now. Yeah, this is one of those things where we seem to have a pretty good handle on it pre-pandemic where, you know, if you were going to have training, it would either be Tuesday through Thursday, or if it was going to be an extended period of time, you know, you would have, you know, people would be in over the weekend, but they would be staying over the weekend. It would not be traveling over the weekend. And, you know, so all of a sudden they started having these things where you would have to travel pretty good distance to get to your training on a uh, Monday morning, as you said, start off bright and early on a Monday morning. And NTU National, you know, once they heard this from the chapters, rightly said, how are you compensating these employees that are going to this training travel, you know, doing this training travel? And the IRS was like, uh, yeah. 
and we could not get a good answer from them. And National NTU, to their credit, said, okay, if you don't want to talk to us about this, we're going to file a national grievance. Uh, because definitely employees are being harmed when they're having to travel due to a directive of management and not being compensated for it. There should be, you know, this is this is work time. If you're being told you have to travel on a Sunday or you have to travel home on a Saturday or outside of your tour on a Friday night, then that's being directed by management and therefore it should be compensated. And management, for whatever reason, in these instances, didn't want to do that. So National NTU has filed a national grievance to try and correct this. It really is sad that NTU had to go a formal process because this, as you mentioned, this was raised to the agency trying to see if there could be some other kind of solution brought forward. And uh, it's interesting that the agency didn't really seem to know what to say. Yeah, it's it's one of those things like, okay, do you not have anybody that worked before the pandemic that could have explained this to you, how it was done? Uh, did they retire during the pandemic or move to a different position? So you're unsure of how to handle this. It's This is not rocket science. It's not nuclear physics. It's basically if you have people that you're directing to do something, you know, you're going to have to compensate them because they're not doing it on their own time. They're doing it at your direction. So that's one of the things that um, that we're having trouble getting some of the uh, some of the different divisions and executives in those divisions to understand, and we're hoping by the filing of this national grievance we can get this taken care of. So have we had any examples of this in our own chapter? Not to my knowledge, uh, because if an employee had come to me with this, I can flat guarantee you I would have been up the chain on the executives going, what the are you thinking? Um, why, how are you compensating these people? Well, we're not. Well, you are one way or another. Um, so not to my knowledge, uh, but I hear it's been big on the coasts. So if you are an IRS employee and you receive a training announcement and you start, uh, you have to travel and it starts at uh, 8 a.m. local time on Monday, what does the employee do at that point? Uh, the employee needs to let their chapter know that they've gotten this notice that's going on so the chapter can work on it. You know, you have to, you know, you don't want to get an insubordination charge against you. So if you're told, if you're directed to go there, it's not illegal. So you want to follow that direct order, but let your chapter know so the chapter can work it. So they can work it either individually or with national office if it's part of the, uh, you know, the bigger issue. And that way we can get some compensation for these employees who are having to travel on their own time when they shouldn't be. Well, Congress is, is back in session now, and as a result of that, there's been some congressional testimony. First testimony I want to talk about are actually remarks to Congress by Tony uh, Reardon, our national president. You know, Even though Tony Reardon has announced his intention not to seek another term when the election comes up in August, uh, you made it pretty clear that he wasn't going to lose a step. He was still going to be right on top of things up until the time he's gone, and that has certainly been the case. So he has recently been uh, expressing some remarks to Congress. Tell us uh, what he is informing our elected officials of. Yeah, Tony is definitely not losing a step. He's he will continue to press forward until his you know time in office is over, and probably after that. Um, but he, uh, in his remarks to Congress, 
wanted to make clear that they don't want to have any of these uh, cuts that some of these uh, representatives and senators are talking about because they would have a great adverse impact to all the agencies that NTU represents, specifically for us, IRS. Um, you know, we're we're coming out of a filing season where we've done fairly well in being responsive, and if we get these cuts, we're going to be going right back to the days of anywhere from 15 to 20 to 25 percent level of service, you know, taking care of people on the phones, not having enough um, people in the uh, in our tax, our walk-in offices to be able to handle the crowds, things of that nature. So Tony made it very clear um, in his remarks to uh, the Senate Finance Committee that he wanted to make sure that they understood that it's something that, you know, uh, funding for these agencies, especially IRS, is still clearly needed and has to be done. Yeah, it's interesting that, uh, you know, if the IRS doesn't have a good filing season, cannot answer the phones and so forth, you know, people are, go before Congress and the IRS officials and uh, people tied to IRS are raked over the coals. Well, we've had a pretty good filing season. We've had better funding. And uh, the interesting thing I found when I read the summaries of some of the remarks made by members of the Senate in that committee were like, well, yeah, but you had a good tax season, but don't let that, don't let that, uh, don't, don't rest on your laurels. Don't, don't uh, be, feel too good about that. It's like, whatever IRS does, it's never enough. Yeah. And when I see and read things like the, uh, victory laps that they're talking about it well irs shouldn't be talking taking victory laps dear god no we're not taking any victory laps we just want to make sure that we continue to get the proper funding so we can assist the american taxpayer as we should be and i would think that each and every representative and senator would be behind that because you know their constituents want us to be there to answer their questions to make sure things are done correctly and to undercut our funding would be, again, like I said, to go back to the days of poor level of service where, you know, their constituents would not be served. So I am flabbergasted, um, to use a polite term, when, uh, when I hear that, you know, we don't want you to do victory laps and we, you know, don't celebrate early and things of that nature. We're not. We just want to make sure that we have the monies to um, continue coming in to properly fund us so we can keep up this level of service. Trying to figure out how to define a polite flabbergast. <laughs> well, it's it's better than another couple of terms that I was thinking of using. Let's put it that way. Well, I'm certainly glad you kept it in polite company. That's good to hear. <laughs> so I think we can, we can safely say that uh, Tony Reardon uh, continues his uh, advocacy for the agency, for its employees, and for the ability of IRS to do its work, whether it's uh, compliance or service. Yeah, I, and you know, Tony Reardon, our national VP, Doreen Greenwald, both always push for proper funding for all the agencies that NTU represents, whether it's IRS, Customs and Border Protection, Health and Human Services, uh, Department of Energy. It doesn't matter which agency it is. They want to make sure that the uh, proper funding is there so we can do the work that we're supposed to be doing for the American taxpayer. It's pretty darn simple, and they are great advocates for continuing to push for that. 
And moving to the other side of the equation, uh, we've talked about Tony Reardon and his uh, remarks to Congress. Commissioner Danny Werfel has also been before the Congress, and he's had some very interesting things to say. Tell us about that. Yeah, Commissioner Werfel was in front of Congress uh, this past Wednesday, um, and, you know, right after firing season, and, you know, told uh, the senators, because it was a Senate committee, uh, you know, that we were sitting at 87% for our phone level access, which is outstanding, especially compared to our past several years. We know we're not going to continue that because right now we're throwing everything we can at the phones, but it's still going to be a pretty high level for the entire year, I'm sure. But, you know, we're we're on top of things for, um, for the most part, for paper inventory, for the returns and things of that nature. And, you know, he wanted to make sure that they knew, these senators knew, that if they decided to try and cut the funding or cut out some of the money from the um, from the money that we're getting for the next several years, that we could be going again, as Tony pointed out, to the bad situation where the level of service wouldn't be serving the American taxpayers like they should be. It should be pointed out, and I th- we we bring this up again and again, but I think uh, it, it's important to, to never forget this, just how underfunded the IRS has been for, I don't know, how would you say, 15, 20 years, maybe longer? At least. Um, yeah, and, and in the last 10 to 15 years, it's been almost criminally underfunded. Um, you know, it was a, I think it was a, uh, Deputy Secretary of the Treasury, who said that we're at the same uh, levels uh, hiring-wise as we were back in the late 1970s, which is just boggles the mind when you can think about how much the population has grown since then in the United States. So it's it's one of those things that you just look at and go, I, I you know, we're we're making inroads, but we can't we have to continue to hire because. Um, as Commissioner Werfel pointed out, as Tony Reardon and Vice President Greenwald have pointed out previously to senators and uh, members of the House, you know, we've got an awful lot of employees who are either retirement eligible now or going to be retirement eligible in the next couple of years. And we need to be prepared for that and try and get these folks on board now so we can do um, you know, transfer of knowledge more than anything, but also make sure that we have the people that are able to continue to do the work. Well, it, it, you talked about the population increase. I think there are some other factors in the, since the late 1970s. Number one is the increased complexity of the economy and, and, and the entire landscape that IRS faces, and also the fact that the tax laws continue to become more complex. They're not getting simpler so with all of these things together, uh, an underfunded IRS means, number one, the compliance suffers, both in terms of audits and, and collection ability. And, of course, uh, service will also suffer as a result of that. Yeah, and I appreciate the remarks of uh, Senator Wyden from Oregon, who basically said that compliance and customer service can and often do work together with the IRS because we need the enforcement folks. Um, you know, Commissioner Werfel said that they're still planning on hiring 10,000 more people this fiscal year and another 10,000 next year. And a lot of those are going to be folks that deal 
with, um, you know, the taxpayers on the phones for, you know, uh, if either on the phones or in person and field assistance, uh, things of that nature. But it's also going to be a lot more enforcement people. Uh, you know, we need a lot more revenue agents. We need a lot more tax compliance officers and we need more revenue officers. And as uh, Commissioner Werfel said, we're not going to be going after those folks who make less than four hundred thousand dollars a year. Those those are the people we want to try and get more information to. We want to try and help them to make sure they're in compliance. We want to have the ability to go after these uh, folks who have the more complex returns, as you pointed out, the very technical tax law, who are making an awful lot of money and not getting audited as they should be. So it it works you know, both together in basically making sure folks know what their obligations are and if they're not doing things correctly, that we make sure that the American taxpayers get the amount of tax that they should be getting. You know, Duncan, when I came to work at the IRS in, in, in the 80s, IRS had a reputation amongst all the federal agencies of having one of the best training programs in the entire federal sector. But what happened after that, based on everything that I've heard, is that you know when budgets got tight, IRS uh, had to figure out where they couldn't spend as much money as before, and training and coaching sadly uh, suffered as a result of that. I'm curious from everything you know and all the, you know, the information you receive and the people you, with whom you speak. Uh, how do you think the IRS training program is doing? Are we able to build it back up again, or what? Where is it standing right now? Man, I sure hope so. Um, it's it's a work in progress because we've had a couple of years where we've been training people virtually during the pandemic, and that, frankly, is not the best way to go. I think everybody has agreed that the best way to do this is in person. And again, not only just because of the fact that the training in person could be very possibly more effective, but the discussions that you get are much less stilted in person than they would be on a uh, Zoom or those types of calls or Teams call. Um, so we're hoping that they will continue to expand that to use the knowledge of the experienced folks that we have uh, in this to make sure that um, you know, we don't lose this knowledge and that we continue to uh, be able to go after these folks uh, that have these super complex returns that are trying to do some things that are interesting under the tax laws. We have good folks that know how to do it, but we don't have enough of them. And we need to get more of those folks, get them trained up so they can go and take a look at these complex returns, make sure that everything is being done on the up and up. And if it isn't, to make sure that uh, these folks are being told, okay, now you have to pay your fair share. Let's move on to another subject because the Office of Personnel Management, the kind of overall HR office for the entire federal civilian service, uh, there was an announcement made the last few days that OPM is now dropping those COVID rules that were put into effect during the pandemic that uh, required maximum telework. Uh, so that's received a lot of press amongst people who cover the federal government employee issues. And uh, I think what we need to sort of emphasize that, yes, that is the case, but that at least at IRS, we have very strong contract language. Explain how that impacts impacts us particularly. Yeah, when you're hearing uh, things like that, 
things from a member of Congress who want to bring people back into the office because telework is bad. Well, you know, if somebody is a good employee in the office, they're probably, chances are, going to be very good at telework. They're going to be happier while they're teleworking. They're going to have a better work-life balance, less absenteeism, things of that nature. So telework is not a bad thing overall. You know, if there are some people who are abusing the telework, that's management's responsibility to make sure that they take the corrective action that's needed. But these are all spelled out in our national agreement. And when you hear people say, well, you know, they're going to be bringing people back and, you know, we're going to be ending telework and things of that nature. No, we have a contract, a legally binding contract between IRS and NTU that spells out when you can take telework, how often, things of that nature. So that's not going to be changing. Um, and we want to make sure that people understand that. You can hear a lot of stuff in the press. You can hear a lot from representatives and senators on this. You can hear a lot of people that are unhappy that say everybody should be back in the office. It's better for, you know, restaurants and businesses that are downtown because they're missing because people are at home. Um, I totally get that point, but that's not the purpose of telework. The purpose of telework is to get the work done in the best way possible for both the service and for the employees. And because we have contractual provisions covering this, those will be um, listened to, they will be uh, taken care of, and they will be done correctly or else folks like myself or my brethren across the country will be stepping in to discuss this with various areas of management. So the um, the telework uh, situation at IRS is contractually uh, uh, in place, and uh, even though OPM's... Uh, Overall uh, guidance may have changed. Our contract has not. So that's the point I wanted everybody to know, that our rules continue to be in place. I want to mention something else, something that's getting a lot of uh, publicity right now, and we need to bring it up again, is the debt ceiling. Now, there's been a lot of talk about the debt ceiling. Uh, uh, there have been some proposals. I think the majority in the House has put a proposal together on a, passing a debt ceiling that with a pretty draconian spending cut of 20% of all discretionary spending, for example, which would be very, uh, which would not be good for federal agencies or federal employees. It doesn't appear that's going to become reality, but it is at least uh, being discussed. And failure to raise the debt limit, as we have mentioned before, has some very serious ramifications for the economy in general, and, and federal employees in particular. So as people watch this debt ceiling debate, and, and as we watch it in the news, what should we be looking for, Duncan? Um, I'm hoping sanity. Uh, but that may, be a, uh, that may be a forlorn hope. You know, and what everybody needs to understand, and I, you know, we've discussed this before, but the debt ceiling is not talking about bills that we're going to be incurring and things of that nature. It's about bills that have already passed. This is the debt that the government already owes. So it's basically just a almost should be uh, up until the last, you know, 15 years or so, been a pro forma vote. Okay, we need to raise the debt ceiling. Well, now it's become a political football and both sides use it, but it should not be a political football. This is the faith and credit of the United States government that you're messing with. You know, when you start talking about 
debt ceiling, you know, defaults and things of that nature, that would have a disastrous effect on not getting bills paid by the federal government. Um, our credit rating would go down, which would have horrendous. Uh, you think the interest rates are bad now? Wait till you see them with a debt ceiling. Uh, if a debt ceiling is breached, um, things like the stock market would have a horrible impact on this. So it's it's something that needs to be passed. You know how they want to pass it is what the debate is about. And when they talk about these draconian cuts. Um, you know, they want to cut the discretionary spending. Well, that's wonderful. But the discretionary spending doesn't even make a dent, doesn't even make a dent in the federal debt ceiling. The vast majority of that is Social Security, Medicare, defense spending. That's well more than the discretionary spending that we have that they're proposing to cut, but nobody is mentioning touching that. So, it, it's it's almost like a kabuki political theater type situation, but this is not something you want to play with. And we're hoping that um, as it gets closer to when the debt ceiling will be uh, hit, that we will see more, like I said, sanity, I hope, would break out and it would uh, we would get this passed and raised. You're asking for a lot, Duncan. You're asking for sanity. I know it's it's one of those forlorn hopes that that I always have that at some point sanity will break out. And, and just to repeat something we've said many times before, if the debt ceiling is not raised properly, we still don't know what would happen. We don't know what it would do precisely to the economy. We don't know what it would precisely do to the federal workforce. We, uh, I, I talked about when I was a manager, when we had this possibility and uh, I was trying to get guidance and nobody in the management chain really knew exactly how this was going to work. And I don't know about you, but I think the proper time to talk about federal spending is a budget time. That's when you have the debate, not when the debt ceiling is coming up, but that's just my opinion. I guess I'm a little too much on the sanity side, aren't I, Duncan? I'm, yeah, you're using that logic thing again. And, but you're exactly correct. I mean, that's where you want to have those discussions. If you're worried about the debt ceiling and what's causing it, then you have those budget talks. And those are also combined with, you know, what taxes uh, are out there that need to be raised or cut or whatever the situation may be. That's when you have those discussions, not during the debt ceiling, which is, to be honest with you, like playing with fire, as I think any economist out there would tell you. You do not want to mess with this. It's playing with fire, and I just hope calmer heads will end up prevailing. Okay, Duncan, time for your final comment. Um, I just I just want to give, you know, everybody's been given thanks out there, and I want to add to it um, for the filing season. You know, everybody in the IRS, whether you've been uh, directly impacted with, uh, you know, taxpayer service, as we used to call it, um, be it accounts management or, uh, you know, in the walk-in offices or things of that nature, but also the enforcement folks, IT support, everybody else has just done a wonderful, wonderful job this filing season. Uh, still has been a lot of confusion, but we've gotten a lot of new people and the veterans that I've talked to, the seasoned folks in the IRS have done a great job in bringing those folks uh, up to speed making sure that they can help out. And I, I just want to thank everybody 
for you know a great filing season overall and just to continue the great work. And I couldn't be prouder uh, to be among the folks that work with you. And I'm sure my brethren across the country express the same thing as uh, you know, National President, NT President Tony Reardon and Vice President Doreen Greenwald have, have expressed as well. You know, Duncan, that's so true. When I was a manager, I was always so proud of my employees. And when uh, I was a union rep, I was always proud of the people I represented and my coworkers as an employee. So I, I do share that a great deal. And that is a great accomplishment. It wasn't just the budget. I mean, we did get money and we have to have that as a base, but the people working on the ground got that work done. My final comments very quick. I, my mother, who lived for 92 years, passed away just a few months ago. She taught me many lessons. But one of the major lessons she taught me was never to hold a grudge. That a hold, holding a grudge is just going to make you suffer, not the person with whom, over whom you hold that grudge. And there was a recent study done that basically reaches the conclusion that the power of forgiveness is so, so big that if you are willing to forgive and forget that it is good for your mental health to do that. Mm. Uh, and it has now been, uh, how should I put it? Uh, it, it has been formalized and verified by a, a, a scientific study. So I guess uh, that teaches us all a lesson. My mother taught all of us when we were growing up, you know, never hold a grudge. It's not good for you. The power of forgiveness is very, very powerful. So that's what I will leave everyone with today. And of course, as always, thank Duncan Giles for his time. And and, uh, Duncan and I both do this uh, as weekly as we can do it because we hear from you. Uh, You would tell us that you enjoyed this conversation. We try to bring uh, forth the news that we uh, know of and can uh, hopefully help you with. And uh, we always encourage you to give us any comments you wish. You can go to nteu forty nine at AOL.com. If you have any comments, Duncan will be glad to take your comment, good or bad. We'll take criticism. We're not, uh, we have we have thick skins around this place. But uh, I, d- I do want to thank you for the support you've given us. We've almost done this for three years now. I haven't actually t- kept track, but we're all pretty close to the three-year mark of doing a podcast. There aren't too many podcasts that have lasted that long. But Duncan and I are just stubborn, I guess. We just never do uh, end it. But in the meantime, we thank you again for watching and listening. And please, be safe and be kind. Be safe.